The number of adults in the UK who are experiencing some level of depression has doubled since the start of the coronavirus pandemic, according to the Office for National Statistics. Their survey, carried out over a 12-month period, found that one in five people appear to have depressive symptoms. That compares to one in ten before COVID-19 hit. Amongst those most likely to suffer... That was one of the BBC's headlines in August 2020. And although the long-term impact of the COVID-19 pandemic is still uncertain, there are signs that more people have been taking antidepressants during this time. A recent investigation by the Pharmaceutical Journal found peaks in the number of children and young people taking antidepressants that occurred with periods of lockdown. But antidepressant prescriptions have been increasing for a long time, and perhaps the media is too focused on reporting the initiation of this treatment rather than the problems that some patients have coming off them. Well, I was, you know, I, I got my care from my friends on the, on the internet. I took care of myself and it was a very, very distressing, lonely experience, which is the same as anybody else. It's, you know, realizing that you don't have any medical support is a terrible shock to people. We weren't really there to talk about withdrawal, but I sort of looked around the table and said, is there a withdrawal problem with antidepressants? And every single GP said, yes. So that was when I absolutely realised that there, there was a problem, um, which, which I'd missed. Welcome to the PJ Pod, produced by the team behind the Pharmaceutical Journal, the official journal of the Royal Pharmaceutical Society. I am executive editor, Nigel Prates. If you search on Facebook or Google antidepressant withdrawal, you'll find many patient support groups. Most of the groups are closed, but some of them have tens of thousands of followers asking for help, swapping tips or offering encouragement. The truth is, there's a massive global conversation between patients on how to cope with the symptoms that sometimes present themselves when stopping antidepressant treatment. And largely, it's taking place out of sight of the healthcare professionals that have prescribed the medication in the first place. Now, you could argue that peer-led patient support groups are a really good thing, the ultimate in patient empowerment. But if you dig into these groups a little bit more, you often find a frustration that they're not getting the professional support they need to cope with the onslaught of withdrawal symptoms after stopping an antidepressant. I'm Adele Framer, and I uh, started the website survivingantidepressants.org to uh, help people go off psychiatric drugs uh, in a tapered fashion. Adele lives in California. Her website, Surviving Antidepressants, is run solely by volunteers and is one of the few peer support networks that is open to view on the internet. Reading the case histories and discussions is a pretty sobering experience. You get a real insight into how destructive withdrawal symptoms can be after stopping an antidepressant. Adele started the website after many years of trying to get help for her own withdrawal symptoms. I experienced hypomania for about six weeks after coming off of paroxetine. So I felt like I could do anything. I felt like I was a superwoman. I became extremely busy. I wasn't sleeping very much. I was sweating a lot. I had brain zaps, which are these uh, sharp little buzzy feelings inside your head 
you definitely feel that you're in that they are in your brain and they are definitely if there's an electrical sensation a a snap or a buzzing or a, a shock once the hypomania faded Adele began to experience other symptoms such as sleep disturbances and disorientation. She was a computer systems designer, but she had to leave that career after experiencing protracted withdrawal symptoms for 11 years after coming off paroxetine. She went to see several psychiatrists about these symptoms, but they weren't taken seriously. So, uh, so then I went to see a private psychiatrist who was um, very, um, he, w he was a professor and he was very arrogant and he told me and I kept on talking to him about my protracted withdrawal and my problems dealing with it and uh, he uh, told me that I was deluded. It was these negative experiences that made Adele do research and find support in forums online and then eventually to set up her own website. Her website is accessed by thousands of patients from all over the world, including many from the UK, and is part of a web of support that patients themselves have constructed in the absence of support from their own doctors. Realising that you don't have any medical support is a terrible shock to people. So uh, we, did not, we do not have any medical support. There's very little medical support to be had even today for people who have withdrawal symptoms. Part of the problem is there are just so many different withdrawal symptoms, perhaps as many as 50. And while some people are absolutely fine after stopping their antidepressant, others really struggle. But for those that do have symptoms, the dizziness, sleep disturbances, surges in anxiety, or horrible sensations such as electric zaps in your body or brain can be disturbing and deeply unpleasant. There seem to be some core symptoms that almost everybody experiences. Dizziness is particularly common. It's probably the most frequent symptom. Um, it sounds pretty innocuous, but the dizziness can be very profound and uh, inhibits one going about one's daily business. And dizziness tends to be the first thing that people notice when um, they forget to take their medication. And I've had this reported to me by <clears throat> innumerable people, too many to count. That's David Taylor, Professor of Psychopharmacology at King's College London. David's one of the most prominent experts in this area and is one of the authors of the Royal College of Psychiatrists' Advice on Stopping Antidepressants, first published in 2020. Um, alongside that, we have these peculiar sensations of uh, electric shocks, um, which can occur in the trunk and in the limbs but also in the head where they're often referred to as zaps. These again are very common and they are diagnostic criteria really for antidepressant withdrawal uh, syndrome because they don't tend to occur in any other situations. They seem to only occur in people withdrawing from antidepressants. But some patients can experience even more distressing outcomes after stopping an antidepressant. There were case reports of patients being admitted to hospital having stopped treatment um, because their symptoms were so severe that it was considered necessary for them to be admitted for investigation. And this is before we became properly aware of the, uh, the nature of the symptoms and the likelihood of them occurring. So by that measure, we can 
see that they can be pretty profound. Um, patients who are forewarned of them tend to tolerate them better, but they are pretty uh, unpleasant. And a minority of people find them very unpleasant and have uh, to withdraw from antidepressants very slowly, in some cases over many months or even years, so severe are the um, withdrawal symptoms. There are no reliable estimates of the prevalence of withdrawal symptoms. A review of 14 studies into antidepressant withdrawal in 2019 suggested that on average around half of people stopping antidepressants experience withdrawal symptoms and around half of those rate them as extremely severe. But David says that the chances of any patient experiencing withdrawal symptoms depends on many factors, in particular the type of antidepressant they're taking and how long they've been taking it. So for example, paroxetine, venlafaxine, duloxetine tend to have the most severe withdrawal symptoms. Um, they tend to have the highest frequency of withdrawal symptoms. Nobody knows quite why this is, but it's probably something to do with their half-life. It may also have something to do with their affinity for the serotonin transporter. Uh, the higher the affinity for the transporter, the, the worse the withdrawal symptoms seem to be. So with those variables in mind, it's difficult to put a figure on it. But I would say for most people on um, medium to long-term treatment, withdrawal symptoms are inevitable. Now we must say at this point that antidepressants work for many people. And stopping an antidepressant should only be considered in patients with depression who have been in remission for at least six months and longer for those at higher risk of relapse according to NICE guidelines. But for those who have stopped or reduced their dose, until very recently, any withdrawal symptoms they experienced were often ignored or not taken very seriously. In the UK, that all changed in 2018 when the Royal College of Psychiatrists was asked to submit a statement by the Times newspaper on its position on antidepressant withdrawal. Here's Wendy Byrne, who was the chair of the college at that time. It was signed by myself and Professor David Baldwin. He was chair of the um, psychopharmacology committee of the college at the time. And what we said um, in this letter was, in the vast majority of patients, any unpleasant symptoms have resolved within two weeks of stopping treatment. And that was based on the NICE guidance at the time. Um, and also my, my clinical practice, I really hadn't seen a big problem with withdrawal. It was a run-of-the-mill, seemingly innocuous statement, nothing to worry about from the college's perspective. But after its publication came an unexpected reaction. Oh my goodness, this sparked a furore. Um, there was radio interest, there was TV interest. I got massively trolled on social media, I wasn't expecting any of this. Formal complaints were made about me to the college and to the GMC. A group of Scientologists wrote to the GMC about me saying that I ought to be, um, ought to be struck off. So there was quite, um, um, quite, a, quite a lot went on. So I was surprised, I was taken aback. I thought it was a fairly um, bland letter, just quoting um, nice, nice guidelines. I was really surprised. Uh, so thought I would look into it a bit more. Wendy did some research. She went to meetings, looked at the online patient forums, spoke directly with patients and GPs. And like all good scientists, in the face of mounting counter-evidence, she changed her hypothesis. 
I think the thing that really clinched it for me was GPs. So I went to a big meeting at the Royal College of GPs and we weren't really there to talk about withdrawal, but I sort of looked around the table and said, is there a withdrawal problem with antidepressants? And every single GP said, yes. So that was when I absolutely realised that there was a problem which I'd missed. The college, under Wendy's leadership, has become a major voice for change pushing, amongst others, for a change in NICE guidance on withdrawal symptoms, producing guidance for both prescribers and patients on how to taper antidepressants, and working with the NHS to look at better support for those experiencing the damaging effects of withdrawal. In 2019, Public Health England came out with a landmark report looking at drugs that cause dependence and withdrawal symptoms. It recommended several changes to help patients taking medicines such as benzodiazepines, opioids, and antidepressants. These included a helpline to provide advice, new guidelines on safe prescribing and withdrawal from NICE, and a review of the way medicines are approved by the drugs regulator to take into account the risks of dependence or withdrawal when manufacturers apply to have their products available for use in the UK. We've yet to see these recommendations be put into practice, and there remains a huge challenge to educate all those caring for patients with depression that antidepressants must be reviewed regularly and careful deprescribing considered in those either in remission or not getting benefit from them. But for Wendy, the most surprising change has actually been how informed patients now are. Actually, funnily enough, for the first time, I've been quite grateful to the um, to the Daily Mail. So I had a patient just quite recently who I wanted to start on antidepressants and obviously need to you know, give informed consent and explain the problems. And she said, oh, I know I've read about all that in the Daily Mail. So there we are. The, the public are informed. Yes, she was she was she was prepared and still made the decision that she wanted to, to take antidepressants, but did know um, did know of the problems and that it would be a good idea not to stay on them too long. There have been some pharmacists who've been quietly working away at this for years, supporting tens of thousands of patients to stop antidepressants gradually, minimising any withdrawal symptoms they may be experiencing. So my name's Chris Johnson. I have a, what they would now describe as a portfolio career. Chris Johnson is a specialist mental health pharmacist who works for NHS Greater Glasgow and Clyde. He also advises the Scottish Government on mental health prescribing. Chris has been working with GP practices in his area since around 2004 to train them to review patients on psychotropic medicines. He started with benzodiazepines and opioids. There was myself and one of my colleagues who we used two different options. One was facilitation, where basically we teed the GPs up to review the people and we put in step-down schedules and enabled GPs to review people and reduce them that way. The other way we did it was we ran it as a pharmacist clinic. So me, myself, um, as a prescriber at the time, invited people in, reviewed them and managed the reduction that way. Chris and his colleagues then moved on to review people on antidepressants. At around the same time, the government in Scotland introduced so-called heat targets in 2006, which intended to stem the rise in antidepressant use in Scotland by 2010. But Chris's approach was slightly different. He wanted to find those patients who have slipped through the cracks and perhaps have not had any of their medicines reviewed for a very long time. So we tried to target and narrow it down to the people that hadn't been reviewed within the last six to 12 months. So what we asked for was 40 patients per thousand registered patients. And what that worked out if you were in a, in a multi 
partner practice, that would be 10 people per GP. So small numbers. What we, we then did was we got the GPs to review them. We didn't provide any extra information. We just said, as part of usual care, could you review these people? And what we found from that is that 25% had a change in treatment, 7% stopped, roughly 10% changed drug and changed dose, and the rest had a reduction in their dose. With Chris and his team's help in the Glasgow area, hundreds of general practices have reviewed well over 10,000 patients prescribed long-term antidepressants. Nationally, the Scottish Government retired its heat targets as they were deemed inappropriate without greater access to alternative therapies for people with depression. But Chris has carried on with his important work, and he says the key thing is to take a structured approach to minimise withdrawal symptoms and to build a rapport with patients. You can tell that he cares a lot about ensuring that patients know what they're getting into and that the most important thing is that patients trust the people who are advising them to take this step in their treatment. So, for example, you could stop this tomorrow and see how you go. Would you be happy with that? Yes, no. Okay, let's do that and I'll give you a phone next week and see how you're doing. Or what about if we reduce the dose, so say if they're on 40 or fluoxetine, what if we reduce it to 20? and review how you're doing in a couple of weeks. Would that be okay? Yeah, that's fine. And then plan a step down from there. For example, an older lady that was on sertraline, I think she had 100. She said, ah, son, that's no making much difference to me. Uh, I've been on it since my husband's died and I don't think it's making much difference. I said, well, do you want to reduce it? Well, we reduce it a bit. So we brought her down to 50 for a month. Said to her, how are you going? How are you feeling? I feel fine, no difference. Okay, let's reduce it by half. Uh, to 25, so made sure she, she could have the tablet, no problem, and then another month, and then we stopped it, and then follow her up in three or four weeks and see how you're going, and she was fine. I think she was comfortable, but then I know that she had a discussion with me about other clinicians, not within my, my practice, but secondary care clinicians, because she went to a falls clinic, and they were very abrupt with her. She quite rightly highlighted their deficiencies in their rapport and, their, and how they were unconstructive and how they responded to her questions, her genuine concerns. Whereas I had, she's seen me as being constructive, so I'd built the rapport ages before she went to that clinic and that worked well for her. But I know if, if I did something wrong, she would have told me, quite rightly, you know, that's a shocker, son, don't do that again. You know, which is okay. Chris makes it sound easy. But actually, the science behind tapering antidepressant doses is complicated. We'll put a link to the advice on tapering by the Royal College of Psychiatrists in the show notes, as it has some examples of schedules that are really useful. But as David Taylor, one of the authors of that advice, points out, the course of coming off an antidepressant will vary patient by patient, drug by drug, and there may be some setbacks along the way. So if we take sertraline and somebody might be on 100, then a linear dose reduction would be 100 to 50 to 25, perhaps to 12.5, but then to stop. And if a patient can do that without symptoms or, or without uh, severe symptoms, then that's, that's a perfectly reasonable way of doing it over several weeks, perhaps a month. Other people might find that they need to take longer or that they're their changes in dose, the reductions in dose, need to be successively smaller. So if we take the um, sertraline example again, if you look at the action of the drug related to dose, 
um, you can see the reduction from 100 milligrams to 50 milligrams only reduces the effect of the drug in pharmacological terms by a few two or three percentage points. So by that I mean you might have 90% occupancy of the serotonin transporter at 100 milligrams and 87% at 50 milligrams. You can see immediately that once we get to 50 milligrams, we're standing on, on the edge of a cliff in respect to pharmacological activity. So the next reduction might be to 25 or it might be to somewhere in between 50 and 25 and then to 25 and then the dose reductions might get smaller from that point so from 25 to 20 to 17.5 to 15 and so on. What David's describing here is something known in the trade as hyperbolic tapering and interestingly those patient groups we were describing at the top of the episode are the ones who've devised solutions to help people taper their antidepressant dose effectively. As David explains if those dose reductions, those small dose reductions are necessary, we do run into problems in respect to how uh, we measure those small doses. Uh, there are liquid preparations of a lot of drugs available which can be used. You can halve and quarter tablets with a proprietary tablet splitter. Patient groups have found lots of different ways of doing these small dose reductions, which include weighing out a drug powder on jeweler's scales, uh, counting beads in capsules, um, and so on and so forth. That reminds me to mention that patient groups have been aware of this method of uh, reduction for much longer than, than the professional side. In the absence of guidance from healthcare providers, patients have taken this into their own hands and have navigated the dark woods of withdrawal with the light from fellow or former travellers. We have a long way to go, but the encouraging thing is that patients are no longer alone. Increasingly, they'll find healthcare professionals, such as pharmacists, much more informed, understanding and willing to listen when it comes to withdrawal symptoms and how to taper their antidepressants effectively. Finally, let's return to Adele to hear her hopes for the community she supports. I look forward to the day that people do not need my website and that's because they can go to their doctors and they can get the understanding and care that they need for withdrawal. More than that, I hope that they don't experience withdrawal because their doctors learn how to taper them properly. So I look forward to the day that, yes, I'm completely out of a job. I'm completely out of my unpaid volunteer job. <laughs> That's a great answer. Thank you. I think it's a great place to stop. Let it there. We stop my recording. Recording stop. We at the PJ Pod really appreciate your support for our journalism. If you like what you heard and want to hear more, hit like and subscribe wherever you access your podcasts.